I mean, kind of going back to your original question, I mean, it was when we really started thinking about BB-8 out in LA. We were at Golden Road Brewery, um, which is right near Disney's creative campus. And we were thinking like, how do we, you know, what's something potentially bigger we could do at Sphero? And we started thinking about BB-8 that we just heard about like a few weeks earlier. And I thought, well, how do we make a real BB-8? Not the toy version or a real R2-D2. And again, not a toy version, but like a real robot in our homes, our offices, that's really doing useful stuff for us. Of course, like, I mean, behind me right now, I have a, I have a Roomba. It's awesome. It vacuums my floor. It's going to vacuum at three o'clock. But how do we get robots in our homes beyond just vacuums? Bandwidth for Changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. We move fast and fix things here at Changelog because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. And we're hosted on Linode Cloud Servers. Head to Linode.com slash Changelog. Linode makes cloud computing simple, affordable, and accessible. Whether you're working on a personal project or managing your enterprise's infrastructure, Linode has the pricing, support, and scale you need to take your ideas to the next level. We trust Linode because they keep it fast and they keep it simple. Check them out at linode.com slash changelog. From Changelog Media, this is Founders Talk, one-on-one conversations with founders, CEOs, and makers about their journey, lessons learned, and the struggles they go through to build and run their business. I'm Adam Stokoviak, host of this show and editor-in-chief of Changelog.com. The role a father plays in a child's life is pivotal. Ian Bernstein formerly founded Sphero and is now the founder and head of product at Misty Robotics, and they're building the first programmable robot for the home and business. They call it Misty 2. But this journey of building Misty 2 really began when Ian was just five years old, living in a remote area of New Mexico when his dad bought him an Apple IIe. Looking back on my side, I mean, Apple computer was probably the biggest purchase our family made. And it was interesting Later on, it was years after I had started Sphero and actually more when I was thinking about these more advanced robots at Misty. I called him up to ask him why he had bought this Apple computer. And he thought and he told me, Well, I thought computers would be the future and I thought you should know about them. That was <laughs> the reason he bought it. You know, I, I grew up in the middle of nowhere in rural New Mexico. I uh, started homeschooling when I was in fourth grade, and I kinda ended up teaching myself a lot of stuff from the internet. Um, but my dad was always a facilitator. He was always looking for things I might be interested in and sort of uh, finding people that knew about those topics. So when I was 11, I'd always like taken stuff apart. Like I had this cardboard box of parts, just taking apart like broken cameras and cassette players and stuff and trying to understand how they worked and try to fix them. But I was like too young to like really put them back together. Yeah. But I was always curious how things worked. Um, so when I was 11, he, he found this guy who taught electronics at a tech school. So he ended up trading guitar lessons. My dad's a classical musician. Nice. Guitar lessons for electronics lessons for me. So he was always like, like I learned CAD from this guy that they, my dad and mom had met like at a state park. He was living out of his trailer. He was like a machinist and he taught me like AutoCAD. So like I learned from a lot of people that my, my dad and my, my mom would like connect me with. It's interesting to hear too to hear homeschooling as part of your your past. Do you think, in retrospect, that was a big thing for you? I mean, would you have been too preoccupied in traditional school? I guess that's kind of the angle there. Maybe 
where I grew up, I mean, our, our public school was 20 miles away. It was 120 kids, K through 12. And the year that I dropped out, I basically just told my parents I didn't want to go to school anymore. That year, they combined fourth, fifth, and sixth grades into one classroom. Like, that's how small it was. Wow, yeah. So, you know, it wasn't like a big school in a big city where there's other opportunities and like, you know, after school programs and AP stuff. Like, so I think for me, homeschooling um, and because of my parents being facilitators, I think it worked out really well for me. And I, and I got to sort of experience a lot of things that I, I don't think I would have found if I had continued in school. Interesting. And obviously you've gone on to do some pretty cool stuff. Sphero is, is uh, I guess, kind of a big deal, right? Yeah. I think it's a big deal. <laughs> I mean, I'm just kidding around. It's, it's tongue in cheek there. I think it's a real big deal. I think it's really cool. I mean, yeah. obviously BB-8 was awesome. You know, for me, it's like a lot of the educational side of what we did at Sphero. A lot of kids now, I mean, since we started Sphero 10 years ago, there's kids that got into Sphero and coding when they were kids and are now in, in college. And sometimes they get notes from people. Yeah. They're like, hey, I'm, I'm in this field or got interested in stuff because of, because of you and like the work you guys did at Sphero with your products. So that's really cool. I don't know if, uh, if this name will ring a bell to you, but Ron Evans, by any chance, does Ron Evans ring a bell to you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Ron is a friend of the show. We've talked to Ron tons of times. I love Ron. He's amazing. And I actually learned about Sphero and some of the things he was doing with it at GopherCon several years ago. He ran a, so on the third day of GopherCon was always this community day. They called it, originally it was called the hack day, but they ended up calling it the community day. I think just to sort of like bring everybody there. And while the conference was only two days and it ended technically, it still had this sort of extra third day. And Ron was diehard about Sphero and things like that, like obviously programming robots and stuff like that. He's since gone to do Tiny Go and Embeddable Go and all these fun things, but he was really betting big on Sphero and he was yeah. he was excited about BB eight even, you know, obviously. It's pretty cool. I mean that guy that guy like used so many Spheros. I remember like Adam Wilson, my co founder at Sphero and I like met up with him in LA one time. And I think he, he was just like he had like literally burned out like a whole cardboard box of spheros. Like there was probably 30 spheros in there. Yes. Just completely worn out. I mean, we test these things for like over a hundred hours easily. And these things were like all scratched up and he, we were swapping them out with new ones because he was just going through them so fast. And he's, he's in our Misty Robotics launch video too, talking oh. about our new robot. Yeah. Uh, yeah, let's let's move on to that then. I mean, let's not obviously gloss over all of Sphero, but let's move into sort of where you're at today and you know, rewind as necessary. But Mr. Robotics is new, so I think we're talking like 2017 you had founded this. Is that right? Can you kind of open up the story there? Yeah, so, you know, I've always thought about these more advanced robots, like robots in our lives since I was a kid. I, I grew up with uh, the Jetsons and shows like that, Rosie the Robot. That's right. And kind of always had that in the back of my mind, like how do we how do we bring these robots for real into our lives, not just movies and Star Wars and stuff. We had prototyped some stuff like in the early days of Sphero, some more advanced robots, but it didn't quite make sense. The technology wasn't there. For us as a company, we we're making more on the toy side, educational robots. And uh, in, well, it was 2014 when we started working on uh, BB-8. So Adam and I spent about four months out in LA working with Disney 
Um, learned about BB-8 from Bob Iger a year and a half before episode seven came out. Wow. So you were, you could have been a, a leaker. Yeah, no, it was crazy. <laughs> I mean, like just like a little side tangent. I mean, when, when we start, I mean, when Bob Iger first showed us the picture, I mean, you could barely see the picture. It had his name like watermarked over it. So, you know, the whole screen. Right. But when we started working on it for real, I mean, we had to work on it at night when nobody else was there. When we started working on it as a company, you know, emails and stuff would go out anytime people would come by our office and everybody had to put them like in their, in their cabinets and their drawers. And like, you know, as soon as the person left, like a Slack notice would go out and everybody could pull them out again. We had locked rooms. Like it was pretty crazy like, mm. working on that. We even did like at CES, we had a kind of a back room. We created this bookshelf where you literally like pulled open a book and the whole bookshelf swung open and like <laughs> retail partners that were like, you know, sort of privileged to like view that product for, for, buy, uh, for their buyers um, would go in this secret back room to see BB-8. But yeah, yeah, it was crazy. I mean, there was no leaks on that. It was like leaks of the iPhone, but there was no leaks yeah. of BB-8. It's interesting too, because that was the first episode to bring Star Wars back from, I guess, the negative side of Star Wars, which we might be back to the negative side again with, you know, going from episode three, four, five back to one, two, three, and one, two, three is sort of in many people's eyes, not part of canon, even though it is, you know, just there's a lot of negativity there, I suppose, around that. But then this new Star Wars episode seven brought it back and this was Ray and all these new interesting characters and BB-8, obviously, and it was an interesting time for Star Wars. So it must have been cool to, I'm imagining as a kid, you were a f super fan of Star Wars, considering how excited you were about working on it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was amazing. And, yeah. you know, and, and when we first heard about BB-8 too, I mean, Bob Iger was like, hey, this is a new droid in the film. And we're, you know, really, honestly, it like really wasn't until the movie came out and we're like literally in the theater that we really knew like how big, the BB-8 character was going to be yeah. like, you got a little bit of a hint in the trailer, but you know, I was like, okay, well there's like hundreds of droids really in star Wars. Like, is this just like a two second scene? There's like BB-8 yeah. or is this like an actual main character? So it was pretty kind of nerve wracking. Like, cause we put, I mean, we put everything into, into BB-8 and it ended up working out very well because BB-8 did become one of the main characters in the film. How'd you make that choice? To put everything in. What was the indicator? I suppose was it gut feeling? Was it like this is just super cool? I can't help but do it. Was it an economic thing? Kind of all of. I mean, all of the above. Like part of it was just like we would just wanted to be a part of like Star Wars. Yeah, doing something cool, which was maybe a little bit of a, a blind faith. Uh, I mean, people at Lucas and, and Disney were telling us like it was going to be a big character, but we didn't really know because I mean, they were super secretive too. I mean, it took months and months and months and months to get like even just real graphics of like what BB-8 looked like for, mm. for, I mean, literally months we were going off of a sketch on my iPad that we had made after that meeting with Bob Iger. And it was you know, kind of rough colors and like stuff, but we'd really only seen it for like five seconds. Was there anything like any physics schematics that you had to, or are you like, okay, this is how he operated or this is the, you know, this is the physics of BB-8 or did you, did you have a hand in that even? No, not really. I mean, it was, but it was months before we did get some of us asking before we finally got like some video, basically like some 
iPhone footage from like the set and like mm. a puppeteer like pushing BB-8 around so he could see what the movements actually looked like. Yeah. Describe BB-8 for those who can't, who don't really have a perfect visual. I'm sure there's many out there who do, but for the few who don't, give, give us a, a visual indication of BB-8. Yeah, so BB-8, well, it's a 20-inch sphere, the actual BB-8, with this half-spherical head on top. So BB-8's uh, part of the Star Wars universe. This character is sort of like R2-D2. It doesn't really, it doesn't have a voice like C-3PO. It's more like beeps. The BB-8 uh, has a lot of personality and character and, and follows uh, the Star Wars characters around and, and helps them um, in their journeys. So... We made a toy version of BB-8, so our BB-8's maybe four inches tall, connects to your phone over Bluetooth, and there's a lot of interaction and gameplay, and you can program BB-8 in schools and all kinds of different stuff. Mm. That's really interesting to, you know, looking back on Sphero, and I, I guess you've said a couple times the toy side of things, and so Misty Robotics and what you're doing with Misty 2 is toy-ish, I would say. Not really toy, but more of a platform. We'll get into that, of course. Yeah. Just interesting to use these things as like as gateways, you know, for for not only young people but even like older people who are like I don't know. I'm just thinking like my my uncle who's now retired and I think he's what 65. I don't know what I can't recall his age. Maybe 70. I could be wrong completely. Doesn't matter. I'm probably way off on his age and I feel bad about that. So I'm trying to stutter a little bit. But the point is, is like people who are like out of touch with technology even that are just curious, can pick up these things and learn. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, kind of going back to your original question, I mean, it was when we really started thinking about BB-8 out in LA. We were at Golden Road Brewery, which is right near Disney's creative campus. And we were thinking like, you know, what's something potentially bigger we could do at Sphero? And we started thinking about BB-8 that we just heard about like a few weeks earlier and I thought, well, how do we make a real BB-8? Not the toy version or a real R2-D2. And again, not a toy version, but like a real robot in yeah. our homes, our offices. It's really doing useful stuff for us. And of course, like, I mean, behind me right now, I have a, I have a Roomba in the yeah. corner of my room that like is awesome. It vacuums my floor. It's going to vacuum it at three o'clock today. But how do, we, how do we get robots in our homes beyond just vacuums? And we started to realize that consumers are starting to get more educated, more ready for this type of technology, especially if like voice interaction of things like the Amazon Echo and Surrey and other, you know, Google Assistant. And also the technologies there from the voice interaction side that we can use from mapping and navigation. It's pretty early, but starting to get in a place that we can navigate a home at a reasonable cost. Things like computer vision, so we can give sort of context awareness to the robot. So that people, people who are curious, people who have seen these robots in, in movies, Star Wars and the Jetsons and Chappie and Big Hero 6 and all kinds of stuff, yeah. can actually start to bring some of this technology into their, into their environments to do useful things. What about uh, iRobot? I say that one just because it's funny because that one was a robot revol revolution. Yeah. I mean, def definitely. I <laughs> right. I mean, you know, that's some of that stuff's a ways off, right? Yeah. Like crazy humanoid robots and companies like Boston Dynamics are, are incredible and in working yeah. on some of those. But 
you know, for something that at a price point that somebody's going to have and, you know, and there's, that's affordable, it's, it's still a long ways off. And, you know, something that was really challenging for us on that side was, well, what does it do? Yeah, I guess it, let's just, just isolate it to just Star Wars. If you're just using, you know, R2-D2 or C-3PO or any of these, like maybe not C-3PO, but because that one's uh, more human size. If you're thinking just robot, then you got to think that's personality to some degree resourceful. I suppose like these are these robots play a pivotal role in even the success of, you know, winning or losing in these movies. And so like they they have some very dynamic roles. So most robots I think of like your Roomba, for example, I don't have one because I'm scared of them. But uh, <laughs> literally, I don't want the vacuum my feet. Uh, I'm just kidding around. But, you know. You got these robots that in our lives today that aren't very smart, and you're trying to create something that's a platform that if you bring in developers to this platform, which we're going to talk about more of, you know, you start to get these programmable things that can do very interesting things. Right. And and like you said, a lot of this stuff is really hard. I mean, even getting a robot to like follow you around your house is is not a trivial task Yeah, from the engineering side just good voice recognition while the robot's moving and making noises and its motors and things like that, and fans. Heat dissipation, yeah, all these different things that really, I mean, that much sophistication in that small of a package with close parts, small parts even. I mean, that's a lot of engineering. Yep. So we went through a lot of like really challenging times trying to think of what this use case would be. Like, could it be a security bot? Yeah, probably it could patrol your house. But with all the technology, you need to have a good security bot. Like, would people actually buy that? Yeah. We're trying to go more towards, like, home and office, whereas, you know, we didn't want to be, like, a specialized security bot. We really wanted to have something that could be more multipurpose. So we didn't go in the direction of some of the other security robotics companies, Nightscope, Cobalt, some of those. Even also, like, Roomba. Like, we didn't want to be a single-purpose robot like a Roomba. So, like, every week it was something different. We could be, like, the companion robot, the security robot. It could be, like, you know, the kids' teaching robot. It could be just a programmable robot. But it always, it always sort of broke down. Either the technology wouldn't be good enough, the price point would be too high, you know, the tech would be too expensive. It was, like, six months, and it was terrible. And then we came across this idea of being more of a platform, thinking back to how computers started, how really like smartphones took off. It wasn't Apple, yeah. Microsoft creating all the applications. It was people who are specialists in different spaces. Hmm. If you think about your phone, like most of the apps on your phone aren't written by Apple or Google. They're written by third parties who are experts yeah. in different productivity or gaming or whatever, messaging. So we decided to take that approach with our robot, provide a really kick-ass platform to developers who know different businesses, maybe like maybe elder care or teaching and all these things. So we're not like all our business isn't in the educational robot for kids because we probably wouldn't have a big enough market to justify the cost of building a robot. Like, I mean, we spent literally like, I don't know, $16 million to build Misty. It takes a lot of money. Yeah. You need so many different engineers and disciplines. So that could just be a part of the business. But we also have another customer that's buying them in elder care. We have another customer that's buying some units in security. And we can just support them with a common platform 
So their costs are lower. That makes sense, honestly, to to sort of because if you can't, as a company, specialize, you know, in the same way that you know Apple supports computers that are high end computers, like an iMac Pro, for example, that someone might do extreme video editing on, or you know, large scale CAD operations or three D renderings and things like that. Then you've got you know the MacBook Air, which is just focused on someone who needs a lightweight, decent computer to move around in. There are different disciplines of people. In the same way, you can think, well, rather than specializing in security or certain areas, you can do all the smart things, which is what you do well, to build the necessary components to make to deal with all the problems like heat dissipation or the different aspects of vision or eyes or natural language processing. You could do all those hard things and give them the building blocks and to the give that to the dreamers and enable the dreamers. Yep, exactly. So, you know, with coronavirus now, COVID-19, I wish we had a launched Misty like six months earlier. Mm. Because robots, I mean, robots have a lot of use cases with what we're going through now from sort of companionship to telemedicine, um, telehealth, like working with kids with special needs, autism, um, where you can't have that sort of face-to-face interaction Robots, I mean, especially like Misty. Uh, so Misty is our robot platform. I'll describe it. So it's about 14 inches tall. It's a robot that's it's on treads, but you don't see the treads. We put a lot of energy and a lot of learnings that we had from Disney into creating a character that's very friendly. She has a face, a head that can look around, a couple arms. They're not articulated. There's no hands with fingers or anything, sort of simplified arms so she can point at things. And then a suite of sensors for for voice interaction, for mapping, mobility. She can drive around, cameras so she can see things, recognize objects, speaker system. She can dock wirelessly on a charger. And we're starting to see our hypothesis working where we would have customers buying Misty, starting to work on skills in different spaces, the two sort of big areas that we were seeing were elder care, things like safety, companionship, and then customers in sort of the education therapy side. So like one of our pilot customers is out on the East Coast um, called FAM, and they uh, work. They have a basically a, a group of therapists that go to different homes, different organizations, schools, and they basically do um, therapies with mm. with kids, elderly, using robots, as well as a few other things. But so we're just sort of seeing this machine working, and and with coronavirus now, it's uh, you know a lot of these organizations need things immediately, like personal protective equipment, stuff like that. And I wish our customers had a little bit more time to sort of get their solutions ready. Mm-hmm. But it's really exciting to see that people are actually building stuff for Misty, real solutions for people. It's an interesting time, honestly, especially like I've been watching Misty since I guess mid-2018. Y'all got in touch with us and I think you were not quite at a point where it would make sense to have this kind of conversation because you needed some we might have been helpful to you to, I guess, get to market or share a lot of what you're doing with developers. But, you know, we saw it as an opportunity to sort of like wait and see what happens with you all. And it's interesting now we're in 2020, barely into 2020. And I think a lot of people just want to scrap 2020 altogether 
you got some people, some people even putting up Christmas lights to sort of like reenact the end of 2019 to go into a new year kind of thing just to sort of forget because that's what we want to do. It's terrible. It really is terrible. And uh, maybe you could speak to, I guess, launching something so crucial that you work so hard on at a time where it's very difficult to get any traction in the media period that isn't related to solving the world's problem right now. Yeah, I mean, part of it is, it's a little frustrating. Like I said, I mean, I wish we were ha- had shipped earlier so that people would have had more time with, with Misty to develop solutions before the last month. But, uh, you know, I think we're, we're trying to look at it as, you know, what sort of opportunities can we take from this? So right now, like, a lot of our customers are basically shut down. They're working on different things. We're just moving slower. So we're, we're trying to think about how we can utilize this time to pull our team in to get ahead on some stuff. Mm-hmm. So just work on back-end technology features that people have needed so that when we come out of this phase, whenever that is, whatever things look like when we come out of it, that Misty's in a much better spot so people can start to think about, holy crap, like what did we just go through? How can robots be useful if this ever happened again? Or we're thinking about how things changed going forward. Yeah. That if they're looking for a robot, Misty's much more attractive at that point because we do have those features that people want. All right, I got a question for you. Are you curious? Because if you're curious, I have a podcast recommendation for you. As you may know, that's one of the best ways to learn about new podcasts is by recommendation. And I might be biased towards this show because I'm a host of this show, but we produce a show called Brain Science. It's for the curious. It's exploring the human brain to better understand behavior change, habit formation, mental health, and what it means to be human. Here's a preview of episode 16. We're talking about developing a mental framework. A mental framework is the way in which you learn how to make sense of yourself and the world. Imagine sort of like a puzzle and how you fit pieces together. So it's this um, interaction between your experiences in the world and yourself and the way in which you see them fitting together. Why is it important to develop this mental framework? Why is it maybe even important to understand that you have one or that you're creating one? Well, I think it's really important because one, like we talk about the name it to tame it, the awareness that your mind is always putting pieces together, sort of like it's always accommodating new data. And if you aren't considerate of or around your sort of even biases, hypotheses, underlying beliefs, you don't recognize that you're actually putting things together that may not go together. You know, I I think a lot about this within the realm of like sports or a high level athletics, wherein um, people are trained around resiliency. And, you know, there's a lot of practicing the fundamentals because you have to get really good at the basics in order to then do the advanced things, wherein the basics are so routine that they're so integrated that it's just like, this is the way to work we go. Like, this is just the play my brain runs. And then with that going, every time I show up for a game or, you know, an event, how do I make sense of it if I don't win? Do I think, do I look at myself as a failure or as though I have failed? 
Is that the way? All right. To keep listening, head to changelaw.com slash brain science slash one six. That will take it to episode 16 titled Developing a Mental Framework. Join us as we explore and examine the key components of developing a mental framework. Again, changelaw.com slash brain science slash one six or search for brain science in your favorite podcast app and subscribe. We'd love to have you as a listener. into to those specific things because I think this idea of robots as a development platform is pretty interesting. As you mentioned, you know, sort of you were in the toyish space with Sphere and you wanted to sort of create real robots in your own words, real robots that were highly functional. And, you know, that, that takes a marriage of several things, right? We, we barely scratched the surface on your background. I'm going to read something that you put in your LinkedIn because I think it's pretty cool. Uh, just to sort of like boast about you and let you boast afterwards if you like. But uh, in your LinkedIn, you said, I wouldn't say that I'm the best at any one thing. My strength is that I'm dangerous in many things, whether it's designing machines in CAD, designing a circuit and laying out the PCB, which I have no idea what the heck a PCB is. You go on to say programming the embedded firmware, back-end web development, front-end graphic design, UI, UX, I do it all. The more challenging the problem, the better. So, I mean, hey, Ian, we're, we're at a really challenging state right now. The challenging problem is obviously getting past many things that's happening in our world right now. But I think robots as a development platform is super interesting. We see it happening, you know, when it comes to voice. And you mentioned Alexa and Siri and others. You know, the next platform is a robot that moves that has all these capabilities too. You've got a moving camera. you got moving sensors. A lot of interesting things here. You know, what's the next step? Yeah. I mean, the next step is, I mean, a lot of it is just sort of exposing a lot of these pieces, more pieces to developers. Like right now, we're sort of at the early stages of mapping and navigation. For a robot to do that is is really hard. And of course, you see news about like autonomous vehicles and cars and stuff that can map and navigate. But the sensors that they use on these cars and the compute power is like, I mean, it's tens and tens of thousands of dollars worth of technology. Mm. Like that doesn't work for a device that you know, kind of an average person's going to buy. What's the price when we're talking about here? There's ranges, right? You got like a couple different levels to it. Yeah. So we have three different versions. We have a basic version that doesn't have the mapping and navigation. So that starts at 2000 and then we go up to 3300, 3299 for the high end version that can map basically up to about a 2000 square foot space. It's still pretty crude. So we're working on basically making the mapping and navigation better so it doesn't get stuck or it can map and navigate in a more complex environment or it can map for a longer period of time. So if you if you map a space and the robot goes to the other end of your space and then you move a bunch of stuff around, like maybe uh-huh. you know, your kids brought a bunch of toys out or you know a bunch of chairs moved around and when it goes back, your environment has now changed. The map has changed. How does it know where it is in that space now that things have moved? So we're working on different pieces like that to make it more robust. That's interesting to, to think how it has to investigate. Oh, this still the same room, new devices, new things, new objects in the room. Does it like, give me a peek. Does, does it like go over to the things and sort of investigate, you know, how it can get around it to remap the room? Does it try to do that constantly? Or is it, is there maybe some flexibility, almost like uh, it's a terrible robot, honestly, but interesting in its simplicity in interstellar. When they would say, you know, uh, 
Tars, what's your what's your humor setting? Ninety percent is. Let's take on down to seventy five percent. Maybe you could take the sensitivity of the environment remapping down to seventy percent because you got active children or active people in your in your room or whatever. Right. I mean, you have to match on a certain. There has to be enough of a match that it can sort of figure out where it is, and and there's things like loop closure, which is also important. So like, you know, looking to my my right, I'm in my living room kitchen. There's mm-hmm. there's a big island where the sink is a big counter and a couch up against it. If the robot drives around that, it needs to then sort of match up where it was originally or if it went around the perimeter of your spit your, of a room where it can't see the middle of it, how does it know that it's sort of back to where it started? If you're drawing a map of a space and you're, as you're walking around, your lines probably aren't going to match up correctly. Yeah. So, so it has to sort of re- Rejigger the whole map in a way that that works. <laughs> it's just really complicated. It's hard to program. It seems as a human so easy. Yeah. To me, I mean, as a human, because that's my perspective. I can know what I know because of what I know. Whereas with the robot or something like this, that's doing it autonomously. There's no human behind the scenes. You know, constantly giving it feedback, saying you're correct, you're correct. It's literally itself saying it's correct. Yeah. Even as a human, though, if you're in a bigger environment, it can get complicated. Oh, true. Like, you know, if you're like mapping a map or like I was just thinking like oh, back to true. when I was a kid and I played Mist. I don't know if you ever played that game. I didn't play Mist. No. Or like Riven. But uh, basically there was all these areas. There was these sections that I think it was like a submarine and you're kind of going through these some like underground tunnels. And it was like it's a puzzle game. So we ended up, my friend and I drew these massive maps and, and you're trying to figure out where you are and like if you're back at the same spot and it's kind of like that. Yeah. I even think about a big building that you might go in. How often do you go into somebody's home and be like, oh, there's more over there. You, know, right. you just see a hallway. It doesn't seem very deep or, you know, investigatable. Like it just seems like, oh, it's just a door. Well, that's literally a door to a whole new wing of the home. And you, you know, you don't have the physical mapping mentality to know that because you haven't walked the space and there's more behind a door behind a wall that you didn't even really consider You're like whoa you know mentally mapping something I, I can see how on one side i could say it's easier but then on the other side it's definitely you can get lost in a big building like how often do you go into a gigantic museum for a tour or something like that You're like i have no right. idea where i'm at you have no right. idea where you're at you don't have a topology totally. map to look at, you know, <laughs> nothing that says I've been here before. You rely upon those big maps to say you are here. Hopefully it's correct. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've totally done that. Other features like we're putting in is just we didn't have like streaming video and audio bi-directional. So you yeah. can te- telepresence with Misty. So we're getting people that are interested in, in that, especially now when, um, again, like therapists aren't able to go into a, a family's home and work with their kids. Yeah. Colors, facial. I saw the face on Misty too. I can see how in telehealth or especially teletherapy, where I don't know. I guess if you, I mean, would you choose a robot in this case with vision, or would you choose a computer with Zoom? You know, I think I think a lot of cases a computer with Zoom or a tablet or whatever is is plenty. But for certain things, especially elderly, especially kids with special needs, the personality of Misty actually adds a lot. Mm. 
So being able to convey personality through Misty's eyes and expressions and being this real tangible thing in your space does add a lot. We, we had a lot of that with Sphero in the early days as well. They're like, why, you know, why can't I just play a game on my tablet? Like, why do I need this physical ball rolling around? <laughs> but when you, when you have something in your actual environment and you have, even though it seems irrelevant, like whatever the smell is of the space mm-hmm. to other ambient sounds and other things that are going around in your environment to the tactile of you moving the joystick to seeing this physical thing run into things in your environment, it creates a much more rich learning experience. So like there's a local school in Denver that has a, they call them the kinder coders, like literally kindergartners coding Sphero visually, but part of their lessons where they're not doing coding, but they're like, they have like this big mat on the floor with like the days of the week mm. and like a lesson would be, you know, just using the joystick on the device, drive Sphero onto the, like the day that is tomorrow, mm. for instance. And the yeah. kid just doing that with the physical device, rather than just like tapping on a button on the screen reinforces their learning a lot. And I don't know how to like quantify a lot, but like it does. <laughs> yeah. Well, now I can see that because well, just one button push, you know, when there's an experience that happens when you travel a space, right? Like whenever you, it may not be a one-to-one, but I think about directional, right? If I'm driving and I go from here to there and I've never gone from here to there, wherever that is, point A to point B before, well, I've got the mental map and experience because I was actively, my attention, my awareness was focused on getting there. Whereas if I'm the passenger taking the same trip, less likely because I wasn't, my awareness wasn't there. So if in this case where you have the mental, you know, actually mapping a physical object from one place to another, it's akin to that same experience where your awareness is attached to it. Something is deeper in the learning, not just simply pushing a button. It's something very, all I can say is like awareness and, you know, awareness and your attention is sort of focused on this true experience. Whether it was you or not, it was an extension of you. You know, this it's a proxy even, you know, of you. Yeah. If you're controlling yeah. the robot with a joystick, for example. Yep. So we're seeing like um there's a lot of research talking about socially assistive robots, they call them, in in the space of special needs kids for diagnosing and doing interventions with kids with autism. There's also a lot of research starting now on robots in the healthcare space, again, with like elderly, um, and having that personality helps a lot working with say elderly people with early onset of dementia. Mm, Yeah. Using robots to supplement healthcare workers, because we're starting to see shortages of workers in that space. It's only going to get worse with aging populations in certain countries. Um, robots can, can take care of things just answering like a concierge, answering certain questions for people. Or if it is a person maybe with you know, mild dementia, like asking the same questions over and over, like that can be hard for a healthcare worker to sort of answer the same question 50 times. But a robot has no care. problem. Yeah. There's no emotion. I mean, there's emotion, I guess, programmed emotion. That's, that could be debatable, I suppose. But there's technically no emotion attached to the repetition. Like as a human, we get impatient. As a robot, 
you know, maybe you can program patients into it or program inpatients into it potentially. So it's all about outcomes. But I got to imagine that there's obviously less emotion involved in the repetition, whereas a human gets frustrated. A robot is like, eh, no problem. Here's the answer. No problem. Here's the answer. No problem. Yep. Here's the answer. You know, it's like <laughs> no issues with re- repeating themselves a thousand times, whereas you or me are like, I'm done with answering that. Okay. I'm moving on. Yep. It was kind of interesting. You, you read that quote off my LinkedIn profile. That's something I've been thinking about a lot recently. Definitely not. I wouldn't say I'm like a specialist in any one thing. Yeah. But I'm dangerous in a lot of things. I'm pretty good at a huge range. Like, I mean, I don't know. A month ago, I'm like laying out a, a circuit PCB, printed circuit board inside, you know, for a project. And then like right now, I'm, I'm like helping rebuild some of our website. So just like all over the place, like Photoshop, like graphic mm-hmm. design. I've been using Photoshop since like version 2.5. But it's, you know, as you, as you scale a startup, people become more and more specialized. And where, where do those people fit that are good at a lot of things, but not really specialists in any one thing? And I've had people like that on my teams. Mm-hmm. And those people are your rock stars. Those people are like, make your company when you're a small startup. But a lot of those people struggle when your company gets beyond a certain size. Either they start to step on people's toes because they like to do too many things and they're stepping mm-hmm. on the toes of the specialists that are, you know, the pros in that whatever it is they're doing. Maybe they're, you know, and a lot of times the people who are good at a lot of things are actually better at those things too. But uh, people don't perceive them like that. Or, you know, there's just not, you don't have as big a need for somebody that can do a lot of different stuff unless maybe you're in R&D or like some spaces. So, you know, I've been thinking about that a lot on, on my side. Like, how do I scale with a company? Mm. Is it even possible? Or am I like the first like two years of a startup guy? <laughs> and then I like do another, you know, do another yeah. startup. So it's just, it's interesting. So, I mean, right now I'm, I'm trying to help a lot of our team with different tasks that, that do need like, kind of somebody to jump in like you know we didn't we didn't have like a web person on our team and we needed to like launch our three SKUs and do some updates to our website like so I'm like all right I can do that like I had a yeah. web design company for four years or uh you know as we're we're starting to think about prototyping some different things with Misty like yeah I can do that kind of jumping around but it's it's kind of uh it's challenging yeah a lot of roles, it's like you're the the marketing person or you're like the salesperson. It's like pretty clear yeah. what you need to do and what your goals are. So what is it that you do day to day then? Are you a roamer? I mean, so let's let's break down your role, I guess, at a higher level. You're a co-founder, right? So yeah. this is in many ways you're you're an idea person, right? You've you were there from the inception. And so in many cases, you're there to sort of get things moving and may not necessarily need to be involved as they get moving, right? You're a, you're a mover and a shaker, not so much a doer on the long term. You seem to jump around based, based on what you just said there. Yep. So what do you do day to day? Like, what are some of the things, maybe that's not even worth going into. I don't know. Like, I'm curious just like why this is a challenge for you, I suppose. Like, are you struggling with this? Are you, is this a, an identity crisis to some degree? <laughs> not so much a crisis that's over it's overly dramatic but you get what i'm trying to say like where you question yourself and i do this i've done this myself you know 
w- w- how can I be most useful right now? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, that's where I'm at. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what is my day to day? I mean, some of it's like working with our leadership team, trying to decide like what, what our direction is, like, what are we going to focus on? I would say that's pretty consistent, but other than that, it's like, you know, there's, there's chunks of time. Like I said, right now I'm working on our website, but like maybe before that I was like working on like our Arduino backpack that we have for Misty. Yeah. Laying out circuit boards and like helping write some documentation and stuff for that. I do a lot of manufacturing. So I spent about three years of my life in China working with our factory there where I can be, you know, pretty effective because I can make decisions on the product. I can do all aspects of the, you know, enough of all aspects of the engineering side on the electrical side, the mechanical side to like test QA testing to like test fixtures to whatever. Yeah, it is kind of interesting. Like I'm always, I am thinking it's not easy. It's like, you're not the salesperson and what do you need to do? You need to make more Mm -hmm. sales. (laughs) Right. It's not an easy, like this is what you do. So this is what you do. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, there's a really good article. I'm sure you've read it. I forget what the exact title is, but it's basically like uh, giving away your Legos. It's, it's part of the first round blog. Hmm. I haven't read this one. I'm going to look it up though. It's really good. And it's kind of talks about how as you're scaling, a lot of times you sort of get attached to something and every certain period of time, you need to give away your Legos. So basically give away your tower that you've been building to somebody else and start building a new bigger tower. Mm-hmm. And it can be, you know, it can be sort of challenging to like sort of give away your, your baby, whatever your, your, your Lego tower is that you built and start something new. Yeah. I feel like I have to do that pretty often. <laughs> it's challenging. Yeah. Well, the cool thing is if you build the right kind of company, you can do that again and again and again inside the same company. You know, yep. it's, it's, uh, it's not a good thing when you have to start a new thing, like literally yep. a new thing. It's, it's different when you could do it within the company. I'll say two things. One, if I was on your team and I was somebody who can give you direction, so let's say like a, a peer, not so much in, you know, somebody over you, obviously, I would find ways to use your, your dangerousness in wise ways for the direction of the company. Because I think someone like you is multifaceted. You need to kind of keep being pointed at different gigantic hard problems and solving them again and again and again. So it would make sense to point you in different directions. That's what I would do. Let me ask you a second question to that, which is, have you heard of or read the book Lynchpin from Seth Godin? No. Okay. I'll summarize it by saying that Seth uh, in that book essentially says, the point of the book is to make you feel like and understand what it should be to be a linchpin. Do you know what a linchpin is? Yeah. Physically, like not the metaphor linchpin, but the literal linchpin. A linchpin is the thing that holds the wheel on the hub. So if the wheel is not on the hub, it's not a wheel anymore. It's just kind of, it's, it's off, right? The linchpin holds the hub together. So very much if the linchpin wasn't there, the linchpin, you know, it's gotta be that it's the most important thing. Right. It sounds to me like you enjoy being a cog. And it's this new thing I've, I wouldn't say new, it's just sort of uh, an evolving idea, I suppose, to have this cog mindset. And what I call a cog mindset is, uh, is, this is a quote from me, I'm very sharp, 
I'm a very highly specific, very purposeful, purposefully purposeful cog that's part of a much bigger, much more grand machine. I play a very specific, highly needed part so that others can do the same. I serve the unit, the team, and its mission, not myself. That, to me, sounds like you. I like that. Where you don't need to be the person that is the most important factor. You build a Lego, hand it off. Build a Lego, hand it off. Yeah. No, I think that that's spot on. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, luckily I, I have a really awesome team at Misty. You know, at our last last leadership offsite, we, we talked about this as well, and everybody is super supportive, like, you know, being open to being, you know, letting me sort of engage in different levels and yeah. and work with them to make things happen, which is cool. Yeah. You got a big mission. You know, part of your mission is one is be a platform, which is interesting. That was a that was discovered, I don't know how long ago you said I think it was about a year ago or six months ago, discovered to be a platform. You can correct me on the on the time range there. But then to have this mission of like making real robots and putting them in every business, every home, every school, I mean that's a grand mission that it's not like a two-year mission. No. It's like a decade at least. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Would you I agree mean, with it, that? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's going to take a long time. How do you do that? How do you mentally prepare for that kind of mission? You know, I guess personally, I think it's you just can't think too big. You just got to step, think like one step at a time. Mm. And it's easy to think even too, too big as in like – things that don't even seem that big, but it's literally like we need one customer building something, Mm -hmm. right? Let's get one and then let's get two and then three, right? Yeah. So I think if you think about it in just super, super simplistic steps, kind of becomes manageable and then, but you got to always have that, that North star in the back of your mind. Like, where are we going with these steps, making sure those step one, step two, step three are going in some sort of direction that you think is is big, right? Yeah. Have you seen Frozen Two by any chance? It's been it's a on while, topic, but yes. off topic. Frozen Two. Yeah. Frozen Two is new. Yeah. Then I haven't seen it. Well, unless you saw no. the theater. So the reason why I bring it up is it's it's kind of funny because we have kids, and so we obviously have to see Frozen Two. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't be like, oh, I've got to see Frozen Two, and you know. You mentioned the next thing, and there's a song in there that's really cool for kids to hear. And the lyrics, the song's titled The Next Right Thing. And the character is going through this. I don't know. I don't want to repaint the story of the, of the movie. The point is, is the next right thing is the next right thing to do. And it kind of reminds me of what you're talking about here. It's like you may have a trajectory an over of an overarching idea of where you're trying to go, some sort of North Star, but the next right thing is what you got to do couple like Disney things I was thinking about. Um, Bob Iger, when we got to spend a little bit of time with him back in 2014, when we were at Disney, you know, gave us this antidote that was like, you know, don't create trombone oil. Like if you, you could be the best trombone oil manufacturer in the world, providing everybody with trombones and you'd produce like two quarts a year. So you want to think, you want to think big. And then it's kind of a funny story on Frozen. For some reason, when you said Frozen 2, I was thinking Ice Age. Um, <laughs> Pretty close. So um, we hadn't even released BB-8 yet. This is back in like 2015. 
but I think I think we'd announced something. I'm trying to remember, but somehow some guy at Disney reached out to me, just cold email. He's like, I heard you're like working on BB-8. Can we talk? So I, I talked to this guy and it turns out he was in like the, on the Disney park side working on something. And he was like, okay, well, heard you, you know, can you make like a full size BB-8? And if you can do that, like, can you make me a rock? And I was like, why do you need a, a rock? And I was like, we'd actually been working on our own full size BB-8. So I was like, well, if, if your rock is 20 inches in diameter, like I can, can make it. He's like, all right. So turns out he was working on the Frozen show, theater show at Disneyland in LA or in Anaheim. And I like basically took all the stuff that I'd created this like BB-8 with and created this rock. And it turned out to be like the, the trolls. Mm, yeah. So like, I would, you know, got invited out and he showed me like backstage and got to see the actual show and they were using it halfway through this like rock, like the curtain closes, this rock like rolls out on stage and does this like dance to like some music and then rolls off and then the curtains open and then all the trolls like come out. Right. So just use like some of our like BB-8 technology <laughs> in, wow. in a fro- frozen show at Disneyland. It was kind of cool. That is pretty cool. That is pretty cool. Yeah, those trolls, the rock trolls are pretty interesting. And it's interesting how you can, you've had so many opportunities to work with, at least two, I suppose, is so many, but uh, that I know of to work with Disney. It, it's interesting. I was even watching something recently with um, Walt Disney, the early days of the animatronics there and stuff like that. And it's some really cool stuff they've done like way back when they first invented theme parks and Disney specifically theme parks, like characters that moved and seemed real and so much cool stuff behind the scenes there. Yeah. Oh, and, they're, and they're, their teams are amazing in Imagineering. The yeah. robotics that they do there is pretty incredible now. What's interesting, though, is I, I guess to bring it back to to Misty, is this, as I can see it, is an interesting thing to try to empower developers with a real robot to make it compartmentable, to make it componentable, to give it you know, access to APIs and access to all these different things. And... To have this kind of trajectory, this kind of like long decade worth or maybe more of of need, you're like maybe what, three years into your 10-year stretch maybe? Is that right? 2017 yeah. was, the, was the founding of Misty Robotics? Yeah, although we just started shipping in September of 2019. Right. Because you had a Kickstarter or something like that, right? Didn't you have a Kickstarter? We did our own crowdfund, but yeah, we did, okay. a, we did a crowdfunding in uh, 2018 middle of 2018. So it took took a little bit to get the robot out the door as far as manufacturing. Uh, but I would say kind of that our 10-year plan that we, we wrote about a few years ago, I don't know, I'd say we're still, I would say really shipping was more at the beginning of that. So mm-hmm. we're still 10 years out from, you know, just what we've hypothesized the next 10 years to look like. And it is actually... You know, in my mind, happening a little bit different than I had envisioned, I thought the first two or three years would be more like hobbyists playing Mm. with Misty and just experimenting, trying different things, 
um, you know, something's going to be, uh, you know, potential real applications, but more, but more on the experimentation side. And what we're finding is almost immediately we, we were starting to get contacted by real companies, like big companies, small companies, entrepreneurs, like wanting to really dive in and create a meaningful solution immediately. Mm. Like immediately, like sit down and come up with a timeline of how they create, you know, work with us to develop their skill and pilot it with people and then deploy it. I didn't think that would happen for, you know, maybe at least like a year or something like more, more experimentation period versus, you know, diving right into a real solution, which is, you know, on our side, we had envisioned Misty, you know, as being this sort of experimentation development platform where when you're experimenting, like some of the features like don't need to be as robust. Yeah. Good but enough. if somebody is like already building a solution that's like deploying out to kids with autism or like elderly people, it has to work. And even though our direct customer is the developer, their customers are a real consumer and especially groups that might be even more like challenging on that the technology needs to work better. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, so we had to sort of shift our strategy like pretty pretty quick. Which is a good thing. I mean, it's awesome that people are yeah. like already going. That's a really good thing. <laughs> it was just surprising. It just makes you think how difficult it must be to have this mindset of iteration with that kind of like long-term vision and let's say to some degree accurate hypotheses today that tomorrow may be somewhat accurate and need to iterate. I don't know how you iterate. It's very difficult. I mean, I know how you iterate. I know what the, the yeah. you know, the methodology is of iterating, but, you know, in specific to this, you know, how do you command such a platform and then also iterate, you know, as the company itself, because you're the provider of the platform. You're not the tool. You're the tooling that makes the tools. Yeah. And it is super challenging. How do you focus your time? How do you focus understanding what is important today? So I asked that generally, but then seriously, how do you do that? How do you do that? What do you listen to? What are the metrics? What are the indicators to say, this is what's important? Especially considering coronavirus and the slowdown of the world. How do you, you know, how do you figure out what's important? Yeah. How about like a, that was a crazy curveball to like, it was already a challenging trying to figure that out. And then coronavirus came along. You know, I would say we're, we're still trying to figure it out. We have a very finite team and finite resources. So where do we put our energy? We're, we're trying to focus on, I would say, providing enough tools that the majority of our customers can sort of help themselves. So like connecting other you know, customers with other customers through our forums, really good documentation. Um, so you don't have to like contact us. You can just find what you need online. And then on the other side, trying to decide what maybe a vertical that we think could be big and, you know, providing extra energy and support into that field. So, you know, sort of the two we're looking at again is like, and a lot of this is coming from our customers, is that therapy, children's therapy space and elder care. But even those like, even those are pretty broad, like Mm -hmm. what in elder care. Yeah. Is it the companion robot that 
you know, just has a lot of personality and it's there and can, you know, help with loneliness and other and connecting maybe through telepresence, connecting family members to an elderly person, again, sort of around companionship to safety, like using the cameras and computer vision to detect if somebody fell down mm. or if, or if it hears somebody screaming, the robot can go over and ask if they're okay or take a picture and send it to you know, a healthcare person and family members or whatever to more of the concierge to just sort of answering questions like, you know, what activities are happening at our facility like this, this week. Yeah. And all of those different use cases, there's some overlap in the technology, but there's also a lot of different technologies that we would need for each one of those different use cases. So where do we focus our energy? And yeah, still trying to figure that out, especially <laughs> now. You know, hearing that, though, makes me think if I were in your position, so I, I try to generally empathize because I, similar to you, I'm not quite as dangerous, but I do have a lot of facets. And I think the one area where I would explore or at least consider is becoming my own customer. So while you are a platform, you're also very uh, future focused. Why not spin off another company that's focused on one of these larger verticals and specialize as well as be the platform. You know, so where it's not Misty Robotics being a customer directly, maybe it's a separate company, but the idea is if there's an area where you see, because what you need is somebody highly invested that can prove usage, not just platform, but usage of a platform, because a computer is just parts until you put it together and it does something magical, right? Until you put the hardware with the software, with the person, with the skills and the ambition only then when you have the recipe does, does something become magical. Until then, it's just a platform, right? Yep. If yep. you can become understanding of a vertical that makes a lot of sense and can become that best customer, well, then you're your own champion and you can use yourself as an example to other customers, would-be customers to use your platform. That's just an idea I, I would consider to look at. No, I mean, that's, and that's spot on for sure. It's something similar to what I do kind of one of my one of my tools is all I basically just have to like think about something else like not work like mm -hmm. take a shower go for a run we live in Boulder do you but do you mountain bike do you, do you do anything fun outside get outside take a take a hike yeah yeah exactly I, I snowboard there you go um you know get out and just completely forget that I work at Misty and blank all that out I create like another persona for myself in my head and then I do whatever it is, like yeah. play with Sphere or interact with Misty or whatever I'm trying to like test and just sort of like really think about how I feel and notice like notice those feelings to see if it's a good solution or not. Yeah. I think that's maybe kind of like what you're suggesting. Like, I mean, obviously if it doesn't, if the product is solution doesn't work for, for me, it's not going to work for somebody else. Right. At least, at least that's the way I look at it. Well, just especially because you're such a dynamic enabler, you know, what rings true to me is, is a good sword to have in a repertoire, which is this dangerousness of you that you're, you know, you say my strength is that I'm dangerous in many things. And I see that as a, you know, that's a negative word, but it's a very positive effect because dangerous, you mean that in the way that you can do a lot of interesting things that are innovative and in many ways breakthrough when someone else generally can be hit with brick walls and not get over them. You seem to be somebody who has many skills and somebody who perseveres. Resilience is a big thing, right? Especially in this time, resilience 
is probably going to be one of the, I guess, hidden skill sets of any individual as well as any company is resilient. How do you get through this kind of, I mean, no one expected this kind of thing. And speaking to coronavirus or just the way the world is right now and the bounce back, I'm sure we'll eventually bounce back, but will definitely be changed. It's like a scar. We'll have a scar as a, as a species, as a humankind. And how do you persevere and, and be resilient through, through this kind of time? That's the test right there. Yeah. I mean, it's so easy to get wrapped up in like, kind of reminds me of like Bitcoin. <laughs> like Bitcoin was going crazy. You just like check the price of Bitcoin like every, every five minutes. Day, yeah. You know, it's kind of like that now. It's like, you know, it's hard to not let yourself you know, every five minutes go on and see what like the latest predictions is, is like, when is it going to end? How many cases are there in Colorado and like yeah. the U S versus like other countries? And it's like so easy to get sucked into that. That's a trap though too. Right. Oh, because yeah. I think, you know, while that may be true, we all still have our responsibility. Like what you're doing right. is amazing. Right. And coronavirus aside doesn't change that, you know, exactly. It slows it down is all it does. It may delay certain things, but the usefulness of what you've personally built and your team and company has built is still just as useful. And what I'm speaking to isn't to say you're, you're right or wrong. It's just it's this lie we all begin to believe that just sort of chisels away and says you're not useful. You know, this thing matters more and checking what it, where it's at matters more. That's true. It does matter. But the lie is that we're not useful anymore. And we are. Right. So it's like, how do we, how do we not let whatever things are going on, like consume us? And, and, you know, I'm just trying to focus on our work. The next right thing. How do we build a bunch of cool features for Misty so that when we come out of this, like we're Misty's in in a really good spot for developers who want to come in or companies that want to come in. So I think that's, that's what you kind of have to do. Let's maybe key in on that then, because we got a, a highly active audience who primarily, you know, a large portion are developers. The primary audience for our podcast network at large, our, our brand, Changelog brand, is developers. So, I mean, if you were speaking to a large set of developers, what would you say to get them excited about Misty Robotics and what you're doing there? Yeah, I mean, well, Misty is a great platform. So we've talked about a lot of the capabilities. So, I mean, I'd, I'd love for people to start thinking about how robots can be used both today and the times we're at, like literally today, mm-hmm. and and coming out of coronavirus, how is, is the world going to change? In what ways are they going to change? And, and can robots be useful? And if you're a developer and you want to like actually create a skill, awesome, super awesome. We would love to like support you in any way. If you just have ideas, if you're not a developer or you have a developer, but you're busy working on other stuff, like please like reach out. Like You're probably an expert in something that, that I'm not. You, know, you may know more way more about like some other use case for Misty that I, I've never even thought about. Mm-hmm. So like sharing those ideas with us would be, would be super useful. So just like we have forums, like reach out, it's Ian at mistyrobotics.com. You know, love to hear, hear your thoughts. I think it's, it's super exciting times, you know, not, not because of coronavirus, but just technology and robotics. Yeah. That's what I mean. It's still, it's still exciting times. This uh, this blood on the world doesn't change the excitement that we have as as in our state of innovation, right? Like we're doing some really interesting things as a human race when it comes to you know our internet 
in the, in his 20s now. I believe it's it's uh, now entered its 20 years old. So I mean, it's it's an interesting time for us as a connected human race, and uh, it's just interesting. No, I mean, yeah, I mean, a kid anywhere like can pick up, you know, yeah. start working with a, a sphere of misty like start creating a skill and create a solution for a really important problem. Yeah. I mean, there's people like right now for personal protective equipment, right? Like using their 3D printers at home to build face masks. Yeah. Using like crazy using like transparency films and like, you know, it's pretty cool how people can come together and innovate and share ideas and come up with solutions quickly. I'm curious what your stock is on Misty robots. Like, do you have a ton that can be deployed? Do you have any interesting programs where you're finding useful ways or interesting ways to economically get them into people's hands that weren't there before? I say before, meaning before, like three weeks ago. Any any fun things happening on that front to sort of enable people, I suppose, with the real thing? Yeah, I mean, luckily we built up a stock before. Well, it was before Chinese New Year. Uh, which then extended, you know, into COVID nineteen. But yeah, so we do have a stock. We we have a pool of loaner units. We can get out to people. We have different channels to exchange ideas through our forums. We have these uh, uplinks that we do, um, just sort of like interactive webinars mm-hmm. to interact with people, share ideas, and and uh, we have our developers on there so they can actually answer like engineering questions as well. But yeah, I mean we're. A lot of people in certain areas are just totally locked down, just trying to think about like, you know, how do I get to like tomorrow at the moment? Yeah. Well, I think of it like the fact that uh, if you've got, uh, I didn't know you had a loaner, a loaner pool available or just some sort of creative way to get these into people's hands, maybe without the large scale investment or maybe a, maybe something, let me give you my driver's license, whatever it is, you know, like, you know, sign and drive kind of thing with, when it comes to like Volkswagen or whatever, I'm thinking like people have time on their hands and potentially even a little bit of boredom. You know, how do you leverage that? How do, Cause I mean, what you need is ideas and what you need is more people to buy into this platform as an idea. Right. And so the best way to do that is to get them into people's hands and capitalize on the time and potentially boredom. Yeah. I mean, definitely, Definitely people listening, like go to our website, like check out, we have a bunch of videos. We can't talk about like all this stuff that people are working on because, you know, some of it is they're, they're trying to make money off it at some point. Right. But just kind of check out some of the things that people are working on. Look at the capabilities of Misty. And yeah, I mean, obviously like the more people that are actually creating for Misty, the better. So, I mean, we'd love to have a developer buy one, start playing around with it. Or if you're not in a position to buy one, like we do have some units that can go out in a, as a loaner unit so you can start experimenting with your idea, testing it out. This is definitely a, a time when, yeah, there's you have a lot of time doing different things maybe than you were doing before. <laughs> I, I know I am. Yeah. Um, you know, it's kind of weird, like before the show, like I was saying, like, I've talked to people over like text and my team over Slack and stuff, but like I don't, and like talk to somebody like, like three days. Oh. <laughs> it's, it's weird. Well, I'm glad to be here for you. And that's, that's, I'm glad to be here for you. You know, yeah, that's what I'm I here for. It. I appreciate uh, it. You know, we, I really enjoyed doing this show because I think it's a unique time to have this kind of conversation. Like if we'd had this conversation a couple of months ago, we would have obviously not mentioned coronavirus or things happening now, but 
you know, I think it's just interesting having these kind of conversations with founders and big innovators like you because you dream, you dream big and you go big, you know, you start a company with a 10 year plan, not a, will we even survive plan? And maybe that's the case, who knows? But the point is, is that we need people like you out there that are willing to invest in the future, be dangerous in many ways, be resilient in many ways, but then also have this compassion for the world to create something useful. You know, coming from Sphero, not that it wasn't important, toys, very educational, but move into a useful space where you can provide utility for people that would not otherwise have utility when a human can't be there for them for whatever reason, whenever a robot makes more sense. And I commend you for that. That's a, that's a big deal to be in that position. So I want to give you a, an opportunity to be resilient in this next several months, the next year or whatever. I know things will be great for you. I appreciate it. And thank you so much for sharing your story here on Finders Talk. It's been great talking to you. Is there anything maybe um, on the horizon that not many people know about, something coming out soon that you can mention here on the end of the show? A lot of exciting stuff coming up. I mean, a lot of what we're working on right now is is how do we how do we connect people better together? So like how do we get the people who have ideas? So I'm gonna use like an example without a name, but like it's a person on the East Coast that came to us early on who is disabled. And she was like, Oh my god, like Misty could help me in these exact ways. Here's how Misty could help me. And, and I related, like, I tore my ACL a little over a year ago. And for a few weeks, I was, like, disabled, right? And I, like, getting a glass of water and getting it to the couch was so hard. Like, because I had two crutches, right? How do you mm-hmm. carry a glass of water? So it was, like, this crazy procedure that I worked out to, like, get a glass of water to the couch. If I could just, like, put it in Misty's hand and have Misty follow me with a glass of water to the couch... That would have been amazing. And there's like, that was only like a couple week period where I was on crutches. Like people live like that. That would be huge for them. Something so simple. So how do we connect the people with ideas to the developers? There's a huge group of developers. You're like, I could do anything with Misty, but like, what do I, what do I build? What do I do? Yeah. I don't know. Like, what's my first project? Like, I don't have a, I don't have a goal really, right? I have to come up with a goal. That's like the hardest part. Once you have, once you know what you're going to build, you're like an engineer. Like that's the easy part. Like we figure that shit out. So how do we connect like the people with ideas and real problems with developers that don't have the ideas, they're looking for an idea that can actually build them because they're the software engineers or whatever. What's the first step for those people? How do they help you one on the idea side and, and then help you on the be there available to sort of tackle some of these problems that unique people out there are able to surface for a robot like Misty? Yeah, so I mean, that's that's what we're working through right now, right? Like, how do we connect these two two groups of people directly, directly, right? We don't need to be, like, the middle person. So everything from, like, you know, is it, like, a Craigslist, like, posting ideas with, like, you know, I'm a developer, like, give me an idea to, you know, maybe something more formal. So I would say that's sort of the next piece on the horizon coming from us is like mm-hmm. a good way of sort of connecting these two groups of people. Yeah. Well, when you get there, let us know. Cause we'd love to, we love to share that with our community to, to give them that, that opportunity too. Cause there's a lot of people out there who are in a unique spot where they do have some boredom, potentially even lots of time. I know me as a parent, it's impossible to have time. I envy those in some ways that don't have kids in this kind of scenario because 
man, I would be catching up on some sleep. I would be organizing. It's impossible as a parent. So there's some people out there that, who, who have just tons of time and they, they need to have captured boredom, you know, take my boredom and use it for the good of this world somehow, some way. And then there's definitely some places where a robot as a platform makes a ton of sense in our future. Yeah. So well, let's, let's create this future together. So. Let's do it. Ian, thank you so much for sharing your story and sharing your time with us. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, it's fun. All right. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Founders Talk. If you enjoyed this show, do me a favor. Go into iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, whatever you're using. Favorite it. Leave us a rating or review. If you tweet, tweet a link to a friend. Also, thanks to Fastly, our bandwidth partner. Head to Fastly.com to learn more. And we're able to move fast and fix things around here at ChangeLog because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. And we're hosted on Linode Cloud Servers. Head to Linode.com slash ChangeLog. Support this show. Music is by the one and only Breakmaster Cylinder. And if you want to hear more shows like this, subscribe to our master feed. It's awesome. Check it out at ChangeLog.com slash master. Or go into your podcast app and search for ChangeLog Master. You'll find it. Subscribe. Get all of our shows in one single feed as well as some extras that only hit the master feed. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you again soon. Bye.